that people lose body fat mass as long as protein is set at an adequate level. Yeah. And so that's that. You know, that's the, sorry. Can you hear dogs growling? In the yes. Yeah, we can. It sounds like he agrees with you. Yeah, I've got. I'm looking after two dogs. Well, three dogs, and they're fighting at the moment. So I'm doing my best to try and uh, <laughs> keep them keep them at bay. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Talking Fed podcast. Today, we're talking with MNU certified nutritionist Johnny Landles. He is a CrossFit competitor, online coach, and a good friend of the show. Today, we talk CrossFit nutrition our bugbears with the industry and some really interesting points that we think are going to enrich your overall nutrition and training experience. So, I mean, we're just kind of just going to get straight into it, mate. So, I mean, first of all, just tell us and the listeners about you because, um, you know, we know you're trying to grow your business and everything. So, let's do it. Yeah, cool. Thanks. So, uh, I'm Johnny. Um, I'm 28 years old. I like long walks on... Oh, sorry. It's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I run a I run a nutrition coaching company, um, but it's probably more of like a personal training company as well, like online personal training, because I do do quite a bit of program design now as well, oh, cool. um, which I didn't envisage at first, but it's kind of sort of grown on as the needs of my clients have kind of grown. Um, but yeah, so I run that company. It's all online. Uh, nutrition is it's called Next Step Nutrition. Awesome. And nutrition is my focus point. Like that would definitely be my strength. Um, and yeah, I run consultations with people, uh, as well as, you know, coaching packages. So, I, you know, I talk with people week to week, um, and basically just try to create, uh, you know, an individual nutrition prescription that suits them and their lifestyle and helps them lead them toward their goals. That's really, so, yeah. really cool, man. So, I mean, do you kind of just work with anyone and everyone or is there a specific sort of demographic that you prefer working with? Yeah, at the moment it's definitely everyone and any, anyone and everyone. I've not um, I've not niched myself to a specific demographic, and I think that's just because with nutrition, it's uh, it's great to be able to work with a wide variety of people, and the principles of nutrition are always going to be the same, and then you just need to individualise that to the person. Um, and at the moment, because I'm still quite uh, I'm still quite new to the business. It's one of those where I want to get as much experience as possible working with a, a variety of people, and, and that's that's part of the fun of the job. I think is is working with different people, using different approaches, different strategies. You know, working with different personalities, and I wanted to get that experience and help as many people as I could, as opposed to saying, you know, oh, I'm I'm really good at this. I'm going to do more of this. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I think a really interesting point that like. I would like to focus on for our listeners is the fact that you said that at the end of the day, like nutrition is the same for everyone. It's the implementation that's kind yeah. of the art because I think a lot of people get bogged down, especially like on the consumer end by like buzzword diets or like buzzword supplements or keto, this bulletproof lifestyle, this gluten free, non celiac, whatever. Yeah. 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 And everybody wants to get like trapped into these magic buzzwords when ultimately what it comes down to is everyone has to follow the same rules and ultimately everything varies by degree but not by kind exactly and it's it's one of those where don't get me wrong you will you will find people that have specific disorders which will require a little bit more um attention a little bit more individualization as you said there like if someone is a celiac then that's a big thing um or if they have polycystic ovaries or if they have thyroid issues but those things are very rare yeah and then with the with the main population it's like saying okay guys literally the principles of nutrition are this 
and it doesn't matter whether you follow that diet or that diet or that diet it, it's going to come down to whether you can stick to it whether you enjoy it and whether that's going to bring you results that you can then actually maintain afterwards so that's it's definitely as you said there the principles are the same and the implementation is where the personalization comes in I was going to say, Johnny, like you were saying and talking about briefly about disorders, um, is there any ones you come across in particular more often that you didn't expect when you first came into the industry? Like, I mean, I mean, you, talk, you spoke briefly about polycystic ovary syndrome. It seems to be something I run into a lot with my clients. Obviously, I'm not qualified to deal with it, but is there any sort of, um, how often do you see that now? Yeah, to be honest, I see that more than I would have thought. Um, and there was a group challenge that I ran last year um, which had quite a few women on it. And I think there were sort of three or four women within that group of 20 that were suffering with it. Mm. And that was my first then dealing of it. I was like, right, okay, yeah, you know, I've had a little bit of education on it, but my knowledge of that was still lower at the time. So I did have to do a lot of research and a lot of digging to find that out. Um, and I'm working with a, a girl now who's got it. Uh, well, sorry, two women now who have that. Um, and so it is quite interesting that that's a little bit more prevalent than I would have thought. Mm. Other conditions, not as much. Like if they've got a thyroid issue and then they're getting medication and their their you know their thyroid hormone levels are then normal, it's actually then saying to them, okay, look, you're if you're being medicated and your levels are now normal, like you can't use that anymore. We've got to manage your diet in other ways and treat you sort of more or less as a normal person with some other considerations in there too. Mm. Um, but other than that, I don't I don't come across too many specific disorders, I guess, that are, you know, out of my scope of practice, if you would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really good having someone like you on sort of our, um, our, our docative referable individuals, just because obviously a lot of people, I think, get very, very confused from the personal trainer standpoint as to what their actual scope of practice is from an insurance point of view. And that's yeah. something that like as, you know, as professional personal trainers, that's something that we take very, very seriously because we know that there is a fixed line that we cannot cross in terms of what we can do with nutrition. So it's really good that, you know, there are individuals like you out there who can, you know, bridge that gap. Yeah, exactly. And and, and it's great because I'll have um, completed uh, Mac Nutrition Uni this month, which will then, it'll qualify me as an MNU certified nutritionist and give me another scope of insurance to be, a you know, a practicing ins- uh, nutritionist, which is great. Um, but even with that, you know, we cover eating disorders, diabetes, polycystic ovaries, and a host of other um, clinical nutrition, you know, uh, conditions. But within that, it's still, you know, they're still very much saying this is a, an introduction and you can help these people, but it's probably best to refer out as well if there are things that, you know, you're, you're not sure of. Um, and then so you have to then work in conjunction with medical professionals, dietitians, doctors, that kind of thing, and make sure that you're, you've always got to put the, the client's best interest at heart and at first do no harm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that's the thing. I think we have such a... Um... We have such a duty of care to our clients that a lot of personal trainers, I think, get trapped in the the cycle of, well, my client is asking me X, but I can only provide Y yeah. in my insurance. And so they, a lot of personal trainers end up sort of like crossing that barrier for, you know, because they need to. Mm. And I think it's like, I, I think the way in which we sort of set up the industry as a whole needs to sort of like dramatically change in terms of I think that we all need to be a bit more interconnected and be a lot more open to referring clients out. Because ultimately, you know, rising tide rises all ships, you know what I mean? 
Mm, yeah, massively. And but then it, you you know you've also got to consider where else that client's got to go to, um, because now having completed MNU and knowing what I know about nutrition, um, and then knowing what you know GPs get taught about nutrition and knowing what dietitians get taught about nutrition and, and kind of knowing the good versus the bad. Um, and then also understanding the limitations there within, you know, the NHS and how much time they actually have to devote to the client. You've got to think, well, actually, as a port of call and how much attention you're able to give that client compared to them, it's almost a, a, think of, a, a thing of, well, what's the best case scenario here? Um, obviously, in terms of a clinical disorder with medication and stuff, like I can't advise on that at all. But knowing how that medication might affect their... Um, adherence to a certain diet uh, protocol or what you know dietary protocols might be best for their um, insulin sensitivity those kind of things if they are askew at least then I can say okay well from a medication point of view and a blood level point of view you know see your GP get squared away there but yeah no, completely. you know potentially don't listen to their dietary advice <laughs> yeah no I completely agree and I think so that- it's just Greg and I have definitely had experiences dealing with clients who have been told something by a GP that completely runs counter to what we as people who are more sort of on you know, boots on the ground in regards to applying nutrition to the everyday individual yeah exactly would necessarily give them which i think is frustrating to a certain degree and i can't imagine what that's like for you as someone who like puts so much of their career on the line in regards to nutrition yeah definitely um and luckily i guess you know if you have that's why i i changed the like my changed the way my business worked and now that i set up every client with a a good initial consultation you know we talk for about an hour and a half at least um about everything that goes on like i send them a very detailed form to fill out first as well because at the end of the day you've got to be able to get buy-in with that client and they need to know that you know what you're on about um and being depending on the personality of the client if you can prevent them with examples of you know, success stories and also examples of research that fit their position and fit their kind of, you know, their demographic or their personality or their condition, then you can definitely swing them around and say, look, you know, I know what I'm talking about here. uh, And I know that you've heard this in the past, but this is why that that might have worked. And then this is the principle that underlies that. Yeah. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it. And I mean, so for, for our listeners, I'm just going to scale back a little bit. Um, how did you get into all of this yourself? Because when you and I met, you were still sort of training and competing in CrossFit. Yeah, yeah. What what kind of led you down this route to go from, you know, CrossFit competitor as a main singular focus to, you know, nutritionist? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those where luckily now I'm I'm still in the position where I do still train quite regularly. um, And CrossFit is still a good focus of mine, uh, personally. Um, and, and still competitively as well. Um, but with the nutrition focus, it was one of those where I got into CrossFit coaching um, because of my love of the of the fitness regime. And then through that, it was just me noticing that I my you know I myself had struggled with nutrition for a long time. Um, you know, I was sick of the conflicting messages that were in the industry about nutrition. Um, within CrossFit as well and the prescription there's quite confusing messages and so I just thought to myself well you know I need to I need to clarify this so that I can help my clients you know people in the gym were asking me about nutrition and diet and I knew what CrossFit had to say but then I also knew what you know the rest of the industry was saying so I kind of wanted to clarify that for myself Um, and that led me down the journey of doing precision nutrition level one 
Um, and then I also worked with a nutrition coach myself. And through that kind of combined process, I learned, you know, the basics of what I wanted to know to work with clients. Um, and then that's where I thought to myself, well, actually, you know, more people are letting themselves down on a nutrition side of you here as opposed to a, a fitness side of you. It was almost, you know, people that would come into CrossFit, they had the exercise regime down. You know, they, they'd caught the, you know, they drank the CrossFit Kool-Aid, they'd caught the bug, whatever the term you want to use. And they weren't struggling to get in the gym three to five times a week like a lot of the population are. But they were still struggling with their food intake. They were just struggling with knowing what to eat, how to lose weight, or how to get fitter, how to fuel their training. Um, and so for me, I just saw an avenue there to be like, right, well, actually, we need more people in the industry of nutrition fighting the good fight, you know, sending out the good message as opposed to just confusing everyone. Yeah. Do you want um, me asking, what was some of the, like, the dogmatic things you used to see either through CrossFit or just through the general fitness industry? What were the ones that really bothered you, some of the messages that were being sent out? I mean, it, it's, it, they haven't even stopped. And, and this I know, is, you know you're right. This, this is the biggest issue of the nutrition industry is that, you know, you, it's, it's a multi billion pound industry if not more um because you know you'll go to a library store and look at books on nutrition and books on diet and you'll have low carb next to low fat next to keto next to zone next to paleo and it's just like yeah how the how the heck are people supposed to know what what they're supposed to do um and with crossfit in itself you know they talk about sugar being the devil and high glycemic carbohydrates spiking insulin too much and that's what's causing diabetes and obesity um and they say that you know the paleo diet is the way that we should all be eating but within the same guide they're also saying that the zone diet is the perfect diet for crossfit performance and optimal health and actually you've got you know paleo you could do a paleo diet while doing zone but they're technically different diets they're technically different prescriptions yeah um and so it's just one of those where like you know you've just got it's just a i'm just i'm not i'm struggling to get out in words just because you know even just comprehending the different messages out there like it's just a complete and utter uh i'm gonna i was gonna swear but it's just a complete and utter mess isn't it really oh you can like, swear oh yeah you can definitely swear we are not we are not pg rated thanks good yeah so it's just a shit show isn't it like <laughs> yeah. like yeah. It's just crazy. I thought um, it was a great emphasis, though. Like you, you point out that it is a multi-billion-pound-dollar industry, and it really does show. Like, I mean, when there is that much money involved in anything, people will sell fucking anything. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, and it's horrible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, I think there comes a point where, like, and like, I, I need to be very, very careful here because I can already hear CrossFit HQ typing up a cease and desist letter, but. It all- <laughs> But it almost seems like they've bought in so hard to this paleo zone, um, almost borderline keto prescription that yeah. now they have to because at the end of the day, like CrossFit is CrossFit HQ is a media company. At the end of the day, like considering how much footage they put out there, they have to almost buy keep buying in to this concept regardless of what the science says. Which is why you keep yeah. seeing like Gary Taubes, who is like you know essentially the Nickelback of nutritional science. Like, I'm not mad that he's doing well, but I'm really mad that people keep listening to him. (laughs) Well, and also, it's surprising that people keep listening to him if they actually looked up what's happened to him recently. You know, Gary Taubes was at um, a big fitness summit called the Epic Summit and was actually, you know, completely argued out of the room. 
um, by Alan Aragon on his whole sort of carbs and insulin hypothesis. Can, we even, can we even mention Alan, Alan Aragon's name anymore? Can we even mention his name <laughs> yeah. anymore? Well, I, I did. I did hesitate to mention it, and it's one of those. Obviously, I don't. I don't. You know, people who are listening to this might not know what we're on about, and I obviously don't agree with what he's done. No, completely. Um, but you know, you can't. You also probably can't take away the the good work he's done in the industry as well, I guess. Um, because at the end of the day, he has shaped, uh, him and other practitioners have shaped a lot of the evidence-based community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just unfortunate from obviously a personal side of things, he uh, had a few issues. Um, but yeah, you know, going back to that CrossFit HQ and the sugar debate, it's one of those where, don't get me wrong, for people who are only doing 45 minutes of exercise, 60 minutes of exercise three times a week, yeah, like adding a lot of extra sugar to their diet, it's not going to be a great idea. They're going to increase their calories a lot. They're going to want to eat more food because it tastes great. Um, and so going on potentially a, a lower carb diet than other people who are more active is fine. But telling, but scaremongering people away from every type of added sugar and saying that consuming too many carbs causes diabetes is just it's just scientifically incorrect um and that's where i disagree with it yeah and and i would love to get your thoughts on this as someone who is an active competitor still so uh, the big hubbub recently in the cross the world is the fact that like regionals are now gone aren't they they're completely sort of scrapped yeah yeah uh, from what i understand please correct me if i'm wrong the reason that um, Greg Glassman and CrossFit HQ want to do this is because they want to start moving back towards what CrossFit actually is, which is a fitness movement as opposed to necessarily a performance sport, which, like all high-performance sports, moves away from the point where it's healthy. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly why they've done it. And then, to be honest, I completely understand why Greg's done it and actually probably agree with him as well because the game's got so big that, you know, you had... There's no CrossFit athlete that competes that does CrossFit as a regime. Yeah. You know, so, cross, cross, CrossFit as a regime is constantly varied, functional movement, high intensity. You know, you, you go in and you do an hour a day and then you leave. And it's like, that's great for people who want to, you know, get off the sofa, do a bit of exercise, stay fit, you know, do a variety of movements, continue to kind of get better for the rest of their life without too much scope of, you know, how long that takes. But for people who are driving a competitive sport, you know, they need to train for several hours a day. They need to do actual periodized planning, plan training, both within weights, gymnastics and um, energy system training. And so, you know, doing CrossFit, the health program isn't going to get you to be a CrossFit athlete. So they just they just went too far apart. Yeah. And I to be honest, I completely agree with you. But this is sort of this is my point. So you what you've done is basically clarify exactly what Greg is doing, which uh, to an extent we both agree with. But the question I want to pose to you is, do you think that in terms of a culture, CrossFit has actually gone too far down the rabbit hole in terms of chasing elite levels of human performance? Because like you said, the the big reality is, is that the bill of goods that CrossFit is selling ultimately is really, really good for people who are, you know, and I hate using this term, but essentially metabolically sick. Right, they don't have a good understanding of how to um, structure their nutrition for to live a better quality of life. Mm. But that bill of goods does not necessarily marry up with the high level of performance that a lot of pe- a lot of CrossFit competitors are not just asking from themselves, but what the culture of CrossFit overall is asking for them. Yeah, it's, I mean it's hard, isn't it? Because it's now becoming almost a contradiction of terms, isn't it? Because even 
even in the level one um, guide, like they show you that sort of wellness continuum where like actually the, the closer you are to elite performance, actually you're sort of nearly on the borderline of sickness as well. It's like you could kind of break at any moment yeah. um, because you're doing such a high level volume of training. You're doing such a high volume of intensity that's actually going beyond the point of being good for you. Um, and so it's then it's, but then, you know, they're saying, well, with CrossFit being this, you know, amazing regime where we throw all of these different movements at you, you could be like the fittest you could be. So it is that there, there is that now that leap between, yeah, what CrossFit athletes have become compared to what CrossFit sells. Uh, and I guess that's why Greg Glassman wanted to do it because, you know, the media, the whole media team became focused around the games and became focused around these people that are, you know, not only the genetic elite, but also the people that then can and do put in all of the hours of training that they do to succeed at the highest level. Um, and it became much less about the people, you know, walking in every day at the, in the CrossFit affiliates who are, as you said there, you know, like they're getting off the sofa, they're reversing their, you know, type 2 diabetes by losing weight and exercising because that is possible. And, they're, you know, they're losing both loads of weight and they're being more active and they're living longer because they're just actually doing some activity. Um so, yeah, it's, it's a tough one because I think a lot of the CrossFit attraction is the fact that there's a stopwatch. There's the fact that it's almost a sport in itself when you go to a class. Like, that's why it became so successful and so addictive. Yeah. It's because they used human psychology to maximize its success. They said, okay, well, all of these movements exist already. Um, so the only way that we can niche this and make it our own thing is if we put them together and then add a scoring component. Yeah. So. I mean, is that, it's like that famous uh, quote from Greg that um, men will die for points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so when you were compete when you were competing and still was like at the sort of what I would say, sort of like the, um, the beginner section of your training, like what nutritional struggles did you find? Because obviously you were chasing this elite level performance. What, what were the main things you were struggling with? Well, I'd say that like my biggest issue when I was younger, like before I started looking into nutrition specifically was the fact that, you know, I was trying to quote unquote eat clean. Um, and you know, so my diet back in the day would be very much, you know, all natural foods, very low carb. Like I think the only carb I really ate was sweet potato on the, on the whole. Um, and I was still trying to train sort of two hours a day, if not a bit more, um, as well as being a coach. So I was coaching sort of four to five classes a day as well. Um, and that would be my week during the week. And then on the weekend I would kind of just let everything slide. So I'd be, you know, having sort of like those epic cheat days that you would have, um, where you would smash in as much junk food as you can or, you know, like sweets and all of that stuff. Cause I was like, you know, I was eating clean enough during the week for it to be okay. Yeah. Um, and really when I look back, you know, my, my performance during the week would kind of tip downwards towards the end of the week. Cause I was getting, you know, more and more tired and more and more, uh, depleted of energy. And then I'd then smash loads of food in on the weekends. And so I wasn't getting anywhere in terms of losing body fat. And I wasn't really getting anywhere in terms of performance because I wasn't, I wasn't eating right during the week. You know, I wasn't, I was probably not eating enough of the right foods during the week. I wasn't eating enough carbohydrates to fuel that level of training because I had that feeling, in, you know, I had that thought in my head that I should be eating, you know, clean food. And I had that just a, such a stupid mindset over what good and bad food was. 
Yeah, no, completely. No, you were mentioning, um, I just wanted to lead on a little bit. So you were talking about how you're you're one month away from finishing your MN, MNU qualification. Yeah, now, yeah, I've like, got my exam period actually starting next week. Yeah, like Martin McDonald's, and we've spoken about him plenty of times through this podcast, and he's someone that's a bit, because he, he, he's a bit divisive, he could split the industry a little bit in terms of how he presents his opinion, but I mean his opinion, yeah. is, uh, but his opinion is highly thought of what led you down that road of MNU rather than the plethora of million other nutritional qualifications that are out there yeah well I, you know as I mentioned I did precision nutrition to start with um, and don't get me wrong I enjoyed precision nutrition but I definitely think it's it's uh, a starting step mm. um, and unfortunately within precision nutrition um, there's probably a bit of stuff that's a little bit non-evidence-based as well. Um, and just to clarify what evidence-based means to your listeners, that just means that there's a rigor of scientific evidence as well as uh, human experience to back the claims. So at least then you can know that there's you know there's good goodwill in you suggesting a certain protocol. Um, so some some of the stuff in PN was a little bit too much of the. Uh, this we have experience with clients but there wasn't the sort of scientific data to back it up so don't get me wrong like but there's there's a lot of that out there um with mnu what led me down that road is that i listened to uh danny lennon's sigma nutrition podcast big fans Mm -hmm. big big fan of danny lennon yeah danny lennon's a great guy uh great podcast and he's learned under martin as well through um mac nutrition uni uh well i think he did the like the mac nutrition mentorship so he was actually like a student of mine before mnu was a thing yeah um and so you know i just heard that the mnu intake was starting um i I jumped in on the mentoring lab which is a, a facebook group as well as a website that that Martin McDonald runs as well for nutrition professionals and personal trainers. Um, And I just loved all the content that was in the Facebook group. I loved all the content that was on the website. Uh, And I just thought, yeah, I need to learn from this man. Mm. Um, As you said, he's Martin McDonald's become now a very public figure on his, you know, Instagram stories in particular, Mm. um, which he wasn't as big on when I first started following him. And I know that you, as you said, he's very much out there in terms of like calling people out, uh, and so you can kind of rub some people up the wrong way. But in terms of the information he puts out there and where it's coming from, you know, from that, that evidence-based standpoint, it's one of those where, like, yeah, you know, he's only doing it because he wants to he wants to clear the confusion and he's sick of the, you know, the gurus out there selling the magic pills or selling the, the proper diets and, can, you know, just confusing people even more for the sake of making a quick, quick buck. No, you're absolutely right. Like, when you think about, like, don't get me wrong, I mean, he's aggressive in his opinion, his opinion, but I think that no one can argue with that opinion. And I think it's very important for someone, we spoke about this before as well, somebody needs to police the industry to a certain extent. Extent. And I think, yeah. I think with the particular group of evidence-based, I put in inverted commas because it's, it's thrown around a lot, but evidence-based practitioners that now are starting to call these people out, it gives us it gives us somewhere to lead from when we choose who we listen to, which is a good yeah. thing now, I think. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, you know, you guys must have heard of, J- of James Smith as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, James Smith's actually on the same MNU intake as me. Um, I'm not sure how much time he spent devoted to doing it, seeing as he's obviously very busy with what he's doing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, active member in the lab and stuff. And like, so, you know, clearly knows what he's on about and has a very similar standpoint in terms of, yeah, like, let's call these people out. Mm. Um, and it's coming from a good place. So, you know, it might rub people up the wrong way, 
but it's it's coming from a position of you know we were you know we were all confused ourselves in our older days and we're sick of other people being confused we're sick mm-hmm. of people being sold down the wrong route we're sick we're sick of people thinking that you know a diet shake will work or that you know um a detox tea will work or that mm-hmm. low carb is the only way to go or that keto is the only way to go um and Martin talks about it from himself, from his personal experience. You know, when he was a bodybuilder, he was like, yeah, I thought that I had to eat eight meals a day that were completely clean. I thought that I had to do fasted cardio. I thought I had to do this and that. And he's like, now I know it's all wrong. And he says, you know, you can do these things if you want, but this is what matters. Um, and I think that for me, just, I love it when someone can say, okay, I was wrong, but now I like know the truth and this is why. And mm-hmm. and for me, I, that that instantly sells me. Then you know, mm-hmm. I I could say to you guys, look, I've I've definitely said some crap in the past that was wrong, but I believed that because of this, and at least now I know better and can you know guide people the right way. Yeah, really. like these guys are so important now because when I think back on, I have four years, it must have been almost four years of wasted time that I spent following the wrong people, and I wish that these people were around a little bit more back when I was in that position and I made I mean I think back on some of my old clients and I would honestly be afraid to run into them now for the stuff I told them then that is genuine yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's the thing it's just it's really good that we almost have this weird kind of band of brothers thing going on with the evidence-based community where everyone is actually starting to as greg said um police the industry a little bit more but also corroborate the data amongst each other and yeah there are certain disagreements like i know la mcdonald doesn't always agree with brad schoenfeld and vice versa but ultimately on the big stuff that really matters in terms of how we apply good nutritional concepts to our clients you are gen pop not elite athletes Mm. you know that that's the most important thing yeah definitely um, and I think it's, it's, you know, you get the people at the top of the industry arguing maybe over like minute data points and interpretation. Um, and that's, that's probably again, where it can be hard for the general population, as you said there, because if, if they can see some people that they follow disagreeing and, and not understand why it, it does become a, that whole thing of, okay, yeah, who do I listen to again? Yeah. Um, but you know, like people like Lyle and Brad, they're, you know, potentially disagreeing over just certain leaps of faith that are done in, in, you know, in certain conclusions as opposed to being like, okay, this is what this, this research paper says. And, you know, that's okay, but you've got to consider other bouts of research that are similar and you, you know, you can't make certain leaps of faith. So, um, I think the policing of the community is a, is only a good thing. Um, the more people out there that get a better grip of the overall scientific data, and then start calling out the people who are, you know, just trying to make money or only believe a certain thing because it worked for them, then it, it can only be a good thing for the, you know, the industry and the community as a whole. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, especially when you've got like polarizing individuals in the industry, like, um, like John Romanello. I remember like going through his YouTube ages ago and he has a video where he basically says, sorry, I was wrong. And, oh, it's, right. and it's like one of the most controversial videos because it's got like, as many dislikes as it does likes because he basically says look here's all the stuff that i got wrong 
And I'm sorry to all my clients, but this is what I had based on the evidence that I had available. And I think the thing that a lot of people in the industry get really confused over from like a gen pop perspective is the fact that like when we talk about evidence, all evidence really does is show us what statistically is most likely given the context of the meta-analysis we're looking at. So as with everything, it's showing you the center of the bell curve. And you're going to fall somewhere left or right of that. But generally speaking, most people are going to be in the bell curve because statistically, we're we're all average. Yeah, well, and and, and that's the hardest thing about research as well, which is why you've kind of got to rely on um, the people better than you to dilute that information, Um, which again is why, you know, like I now follow people like Martin and Brad, and then there's another guy called James Krieger as well, who has his own research review. Yeah, I love James James Krieger's research review. It's fantastic. Yeah, James Krieg is great. And then the team behind the, you know, mass monthly applications of strength sport are great as well. Yeah. Um, because that's the thing as well with research, you've got to, cons- and, and this is the confusing thing for, for the population as well, is that you've got to consider the strength of the research done, you know, like whether it was in animals or whether it is just an observational study or whether it's a cohort study or as you said, suggested there, you know, whether it's a randomized control trial or a meta-analysis of randomized control trials um and you know unfortunately we've got people out there that say oh yeah you know this one study in rats showed this therefore this is a fact and it's like no 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 you can't do that you need to consider all of the other research we have in that area and consider as you said there not only the bell curve but also the outliers like you've got people saying okay well low-carb diets are better than low-fat diets statistically for weight loss. And you can say, okay, statistically, yes, that is true. But is that because people adhered to the low-carb diet better um, as opposed to, you know, the low-fat diet not working? There's the fact that people just didn't follow it. And then you've also got those outliers like, okay, well, actually, that guy following a low-carb diet gained six kilos of fat, and this guy following a low-fat diet lost eight kilos of fat. But, yeah, they're not mentioned because they're – outliers against as you said there the bell curve against the average exactly and even then within the context of the outliers you don't know the the ins and outs of exactly how controlled their intake was so if you have someone who let's say gains six kilos on a high fat diet and someone else loses maybe the high fat guy who gained weight just overate on his calories because exactly because at the end of the day you can't out you can't outdo physics god knows we've all tried Exactly, and I think that's that's what the underlying principle that everyone needs to hear on, in this podcast that'll be listening in is that energy balance is science at its finest and at its physics. And in terms of all these data points, yeah, we have people being more or less successful in certain approaches, um, but that, that's measuring the assignment effect, not the adherence effect. That's measuring the fact of okay, let's stick this person on a low carb diet, but they're not saying. That, you know, they're not putting them in a metabolic ward and force feeding them through a tube. Yeah, exactly. they're, relying, they're relying on this person to go away with guidelines and say, okay, go and follow this. So it's like the biggest meta-analysis out there on, on all diets, you know, the Journal of Institute of Sports and Science Nutrition Standards, um, Diets and Body Composition that was produced last year, yeah. basically says all diets that put someone in a calorie deficit and equate for overall calories – will mean that people lose body fat mass as long as protein is set at an adequate level. Yeah. And so that's, that. you know, that's, the, sorry, can you hear dogs growling? In the yes, yeah, we can. It sounds like he agrees with you. 
Yeah, I've got. I'm looking after two dogs, well, three dogs, and they're fighting at the moment. So I'm doing my best to try and uh, <laughs> keep them keep them at bay. So anyway, going back to that point, because they've stopped now. They know I'm talking about them. Um, yeah, people need to remember that the principle is energy balance. The principle is calories. Okay, and it's like if you put yourself in a calorie deficit, then you will lose body fat. And so it's finding the method that suits you that allows you to do that. And I think, unfortunately for people, that's not the liberating message that it should be. People hear that and then they almost get more confused because they see the people that say carbs are bad or they see the people that say fat, fat is bad and they still don't understand why, why they have that viewpoint as opposed to thinking, okay, well, I just need to control my calories somehow and whether I do that via this method or this method, it doesn't really matter as long as... So I get it done. Yeah, and I think that's real shame. Yeah, I mean that's something we joke about all the time as hosts that eventually people are going to realise that we are the most boring podcast in the world because when people ask us nutritional questions, we go, "It's really simple." And is it right for you? Well, it depends. Yes, like every, everybody wants a prescription, but ultimately it's a case of what can you adhere to. Exactly, and unfortunately, that's what. And, you know, you, you guys um, said just there, you know, you put evidence-based practitioner in inverted commas because there's a lot of people that spouts that word. Yeah. But that's actually the way that you can, you know, the, the way you can search or know that someone's an evidence-based practitioner is by the message that they give out. Um, and unfortunately, it's not it's not sexy and it's not cool and it's not prescriptive. And that's why sometimes it's not as lucrative as being a guru because you're not telling people this is the one thing that you need to do or here's the exact meal plan that you need to follow because you're actually trying to educate them in making those decisions for themselves. Yeah. And giving them the truth that, yeah, it depends on a lot of factors. Um, Sorry about that. No, it's terrible really because like like you said, the more you educate yourself in this industry and the more – well, like we, we go back to that old thing of the more you know, the less you know. And it becomes yeah. more and more where clients will ask me questions that I would have answered in a heartbeat four years ago. Whereas they'll ask me the same questions now and I'll kind of shrug my shoulders and go, does it really matter? And yeah. it almost takes away from your authority because you can't answer directly the question they're asking. But I think as more and more of this comes out that it's quite important that we realize that that is the sign of a good coach for the most part. If someone's not willing to lie to you either. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, it, it just means that our de- dealing with clients has to take a little bit longer, mm. um, which necessarily isn't a bad thing. Um, but you know, you need to get that person through the door at first as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, unless you're willing to, you know, as Martin and, and James and a few others do, like, unless you're willing to, well, Martin doesn't swear as much, but you know, as long as you're willing to swear, call people out, and kind of make a joke about the industry, people aren't going to kind of listen to you because you're not as sexy or selling as other people Mm -hmm. um but you know as you just said there people will come and ask me questions about you know like what's the best way to lose fat or what's the best supplement out there and at least i can give them a definitive answer you know like the best way to lose fat is eating a calorie deficit Mm -hmm. the best way you know the best supplement out there is probably vitamin d for a british person and then you've got fish oils and stuff on top. So at least I can give people definitive answers. Yeah. Um, but, as, you know, you do just have to have longer conversations with people, which at least then is going to help them understand and hopefully then go on and get better results. It's just it's harder to get that message out at first when you're just, you know, producing maybe an Instagram post or a short Facebook video because, you know, you can't do long videos or long posts anymore because people just don't pay attention. They just don't read them or don't watch them yeah I know and the thing is like 
it's just the fact that the willingness to sell your soul for like Instagram likes or for YouTube views is what drives the people that are at the most visible standpoint in our industry is kind of what is ruining for the rest of us. I mean, like, I don't know if you have this, but every single time I go on YouTube and it like, no matter what video I'm watching, it will um, show me an advert for something fitness related. And if I have one yeah. person without their shirt on, explain to me why intermittent fasting is the key, I'm going to punch yeah. someone. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the, the, bad, the, the bad thing, isn't it? Is that unfortunately we live in a, a world of influencers and YouTubers and... There, there are some out there that are doing good things, but then there are also plenty of people out there that, as you said there, they just look great without their shirt off. Um, and actually, they're, they've probably been successful despite their methods, um, or they're successful and they don't know why they're successful. Yeah. And then they're being paid to sell a product, or they have that you know specific belief in a certain method just because it's worked for them. Okay. And it's not telling people the principle behind it, but it's like that doesn't sell. Um, and it's it's really unfortunate because people just get sold down certain paths, as you said there, by people who look great with their shirt off or by celebrities. So yeah, it's a real shame. Yeah, it it just all becomes all style and no substance. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's as you said, it's frustrating as a as a fellow practitioner because you don't want to sell your soul in a similar way, but you still want to help people. Yeah. Okay, so Johnny, we're going to ask you a final set of questions and then we're going to probably just wrap this up. So first question I want to ask you, and we'll just go through these in series, okay? As a professional, what is the one big thing you would love to see change in the industry from your aspect? Oh, yes. Um, what would I like to see change? <sighs> I mean, it's almost as if I would, I'd love there to be like a vet of a vetting of people's information of like what they could produce or publish. So as you said, they're like almost a nutritional police force of, of that, you know, the evidence-based practitioners are doing a great job in calling people out and almost policing the industry. But I think it would be a great thing of like, you know, just how you have to go through a certain regime of passing tests or whatever or certain regime of getting a book published it would also almost be great if you said okay i've got this book on nutrition i want to publish and there was a team of people out there that had to go through it and nitpick it and say that's not evidence-based that's not evidence-based that's not evidence-based you've not explained why that works you're selling this is the only way uh no we're not publishing your book for these reasons do you know what i mean yeah no i know exactly what you mean like (laughs) i I, when you were saying that i don't know why but i had a flashback to um have you seen the film Scott Pilgrim? No, versus the world. No, yeah, I've not seen it. yeah, yeah. Where, t- where Thomas Jane suddenly just turns up as the vegan police and just <laughs> shoots a guy. Yeah. Uh, so again, we need that. We probably need that. And like I know it's probably not fathomable, but from a, it's almost you know the Freedom of Information Act is is slowly killing us. In that whole like people can almost publish whatever they want. Um, and it, you know, the world would be a far less confused place if there was a, a higher team of people that were kind of vetting all of this stuff and making sure they, you know, it never made the public eye. Yeah, yeah. John Wellborn um, had a as a, had a really great quote on one of his uh, previous podcasts, which was, "Do you know why the Second Amendment's the Second Amendment? Because the First Amendment is freedom of speech." <laughs> okay. So, second question. What is, as a CrossFit competitor and as someone who engages in trying to be the biggest, baddest, strongest version of themselves, Mm. what is the biggest nutritional takeaway you've 
got from MNU? Um, probably to not be afraid of carbohydrates, specifically as a CrossFitter, um, and that you know getting in a total amount of calories for your performance is is going to be key for your performance as well as your health. Um, you know, a lot of CrossFitters, I'd say, would they would go down the you know the too clean wagon, and they would probably struggle. You know, it's, depending on their volume of training, they would struggle to get in enough carbohydrates, or they'll be following you know like a high fat, low carb approach. Um, and for high intense activity, they're just fueling themselves substandardly. And if they're not getting in enough calories as well, um, then their you know their body could potentially be sacrificing other areas just for them to get through their training, or their training will just suck. So. Yeah, I definitely say that would be the biggest takeaway. And final question: If you could give one really solid piece of advice to someone looking to start their weight loss journey, so their fat loss journey, I should say, for the first time, what would it be? Uh, give something enough time to work before you think it hasn't worked, and focus on your overall calorie intake before anything else. Yeah, I mean, that's great. That's, that's solid advice and that falls directly in line with what we believe as well. So that's, it's awesome to hear from someone who actually, is gonna, who actually will have the you know, nutrition, nutritionist at the end of their title. Yeah, I know. Yeah. When I pass, I always use the term when rather than if. Um, man, if, if, <laughs> I have absolutely no doubt that you will. So, I mean, Johnny, thank you so much um, for taking the time to have us interview you today. Um, yeah, cheers, guys. Can Thanks, you just Johnny. let us know where the people can find you on the socials and everything else and where they can keep up to date with all things Next Step Nutrition? Yeah, of course, yeah. So Next Step Nutrition is the name of the company. Um, I'm more active on Instagram than Facebook. So the Instagram handle is at Next Step Nutrition. Um, and there's a link to like my personal Instagram there where I do more sort of like training videos and stuff if people care. Um, and my Facebook is Next Step Nutrition 1. But as I said, the Facebook page is mainly, you know, a video every now and then or some statuses. Like I don't, I don't post too much on the Facebook business page just because the Facebook business algorithm isn't great. Um, oh, so God. your reach, reach isn't as strong. <laughs> Trust me, we know exactly how you feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Away from having um, like a respectable reach to now having nothing. Thanks, Zuckerberg. But yeah, no, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, oh, obviously, if you want to do, because this was much more of a general like intro topic for your listeners like if, if you want to do a specific um topic regarding like nutrition and and hash out something for a good 45 minutes on a certain area um that might you know you could probably put it to the listeners after this show if they want to have certain questions or certain things they want to hear more about then that would be a good thing i think i think we need to put you on the payroll mate that's a much better idea than what we had yeah. <laughs> way to do our job for us thanks bud <laughs> cheers man thank you very much just, it just gave it to me just came into my head there as you you know talked a bit about my personal life as well so i thought you know like we could really get into a deep topic so just oh, a thought yeah. and that'd be awesome once again johnny thank you so much for taking the time man and uh we'll end it there yeah cheers guys i'm gonna go walk these dogs cheers man have a good one bye bye okay guys that has been the latest episode of the talking fit podcast remember to like share and subscribe any and everything to do with the podcast help us to keep bringing you the best information that we can this has been talking fit See you next week.